of course my nose crashed now. Despite failing to make an impact on the Hollywood system with Mimic, Del Toro's work as a director was certainly getting him noticed with Spanish-language films in particular, like Kronos and The Devil's Backbone, both finding their fans with, fans with Western audiences, including most notably producer Peter Frankfurt and writer David S. Goya, both who would, through the sheer love of Del Toro's work, much that we saw with Paul W.S. Anderson's debut shopping, opening the doors for him in Hollywood, now the door was being opened for Del Toro, as Stephen Norrington, the director of the original Blade, had chosen not to return to the series, and with the director's chair now vacant, both Goya and Frankfurt invited Del Toro to step up and t helm the sequel. Now, without the meddling of the Weinsteins, Del Toro was finally free to bring his visual style to Hollywood, but was he capable of producing a film that would appeal to a more mainstream audience? I'm Elwood. I'm Kim. And you're listening to Movies and Tea. Let's take it to the booth. First off, welcome everyone to uh, Moves and Tea, and tonight we are going to be talking about Blade 2, so we're returning once more to the Hollywood system, and it gives us great pleasure to welcome again the fact we have another guest on, and uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome from Simplicity Reviews, DJ Valentine. Thank you guys for having me on here. I am honored. Uh, uh, I'm, you guys are gentlemen and uh, ladies and scholars. I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Uh, well, thank you, obviously, for coming and joining us here in the booth. And uh, I said, with Del Toro's work, I mean, were you a sort of are you a fan of Del Toro's work, or are you sort of stepping in out? Uh, where do you sort of stand with his work? I, I like Del Toro just because every time I see an interview with him, he's like the most down to earth director ever. <laughs> like, if yeah. you ask him a question or whatever, he he doesn't. He doesn't mix words. Uh, he just tells you exactly what he wants. He does things because hey, it looks cool. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a f I would say I'm a fan. There's some I probably have a little bit of a blind spot on some of his early work. Like I've never seen Pan's Labyrinth. I know that's probably sacrilege, uh, and I've never I, and I was kind of iffy on Crimson Peak. So, but there's certain films that he's made that I really, 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 really like, like Pacific Rim. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that movie uh the first one not the the new one that just came out <laughs> okay so yeah I, I i i am a if if guillermo del toro is making something probably like now i'm i'm interested to see what it's about that's fine and obviously it's nice about blade 2 and the original blade was kind of a surprise i mean it came out first off when comic book movies weren't a big thing that they are now i mean now obviously now when you say comic book <clears throat> movies everyone's mind instantly goes to like the dc and the marvel cinema universe and they're like these huge million dollar pictures but back in when this film was being released i mean this is 2002 mm -hmm. um the original hellboy 
earlier still. I think that was 98, I believe. Yeah. And, I mean, these are both R-rated comic book movies. And, again, before Deadpool came out and proved that you can make uh, an R-rated picture. I mean, it was uh, Blade was always one of these characters. I think a lot of people didn't know he was a comic book character. I mean, were you familiar as a comic book fan with the character before you saw the films? Or did that come afterwards? I, I read, uh, I used to read comic books. I, I'm a comic book reader where he was, I think it was called Midnight Suns. And it was him and Ghost Rider and a couple other characters. But Blade wasn't... The Blade in the comic books, the original one, was not the Blade that we're getting. It's kind of like how Robert Downey Jr. kind of made Tony Stark his version of Tony Stark. Because Tony Stark, before RDJ came around, was not like that. And now that's the only version of <laughs> Tony Stark that there is. Uh, Blade was not that... He was not Wesley. <laughs> And I, I vividly remember when I saw the first Blade, I was I was in college. My friends and I went to uh, Governor Square Mall in Tallahassee, Florida, and the third act of that film played out like a like a sporting event. People were like cheering and screaming and hollering. But uh, after I really didn't go. Blade is the best comic book movie ever made. Since I saw it more of an action horror film at this uh, at the time, despite its origins, it wasn't until Blade Two came out that it started to feel more like a comic book film for me and uh the colors and all that stuff and that's probably all to del toro this is the first del toro film i had actually watched because i was kind of like at the time i liked blade the first blade a lot and when i heard i didn't know norrington was norrington at the time i was like well i went i always like the the if something's good bring back the director and when it, they told me oh this new guy's coming and i was like uh. and now i think blade 2 is probably especially as time has gone by, my favorite version of the uh, my favorite film in that franchise, and the best one of the of the yeah you know, of the three. Okay, um, and Kim, I mean, I mean, had you seen the original Blade before you saw this one, or where were you sort of coming in as a as a fan, or perhaps not? <laughs> uh, I've seen Blade before, and I did re-see Blade again before I started watching this one because I'm not. Um, I don't know. Wesley Snipes rubs me the wrong way. I don't really like watching him. <laughs> um, I, it's just specifically him. Like, I don't know why I can't ever finish Dem- Demolition Man. Um, it's the same It's the same thing with, like, this one. Blade always tends to make me want to sleep, so I have, like, a big pot of tea whenever I watch, like, Blade. Um, but no, I mean, watching Blade 2, I, I do think that... I haven't seen the third one yet, but... I think that I, I definitely like I definitely like the second one more than the first one. Um, so I, I don't know if it's Del Toro's reason or if it's just like um, the idea that I, I don't know. I like I like the pacing a bit more, I guess, and and the like the story itself. Okay, well, with the third one, it does feature Canada's favorite son, Ryan Reynolds. Yes, but even even there, he's essentially just Deadpool without the mask. <laughs> he's playing. It was it's like Beta Deadpool uh, one point or zero point one, <laughs> and then uh, he gets Deadpool zero point two in uh, Wolverine's Origins, and then he finally gets to play Deadpool and Deadpool. But yeah, Blade three. Just pretend Blade two is the last one. You'll be fine. <laughs> Do not watch Blade <laughs> three. <laughs> yeah, and for for God's sake, don't watch the series with sticky fingers. Oh, oh. I almost forgot about the series with Sticky Fingers on Spike TV. <laughs> not great. Not great. Oh, they had um, 
they had the uh they did like a box set event where they basically showed the whole series and i'm sitting there watching it and you're going it's gonna get better it's like it'll take a couple of episodes <laughs> them to it. it's like it's gonna get better so <laughs> helpful. those so are the helpful. worst series the ones where you sit around you think they're gonna you just keep hoping it's gonna get better and then you reach the <laughs> end and they, nothing like it just nothing so happened. disappointing oh. <laughs> i got three episodes in i'm like ooh. Yeah, this is bad because it's Sticky Fingers. Sticky Fingers got kids. Uh, he is a rapper turned quote fingers actor. I don't even know. I don't even want to give him that much credit as an actor. But I mean, that, I was like, this is the best you got. You can't get Michael J. White, somebody who could at least read lines that, that like 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 a, like an actually trained actor. They gave us Sticky Fingers. I was, I was like, oh, they don't really care about this. They're yeah. just trying to get get off on the name. Uh, Michael J. White, I think, still holding out for those spawn dollars. <laughs> Keep holding. <laughs> Keep holding. He, he, apparently, it's coming back. Tell my phone. Who, did they cast saying. Spawn yet? Did they cast who Spawn is? I don't know if they cast it. I keep hearing that Michael J. White's going to be replies in the role because him so. and Tom McFarland are like, the, this is the baby. The, and the fact right. that Tom McFarland's promising a two hour R rated movie with no jokes. <laughs> Right. And it's going to be dark as all hell. Good luck on that budget, Todd. <laughs> Good luck on that um, budget. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I like Spawn, but it's, it's again, it's a very significant part of my childhood. You know, when mm. you're young and angry and want to see <laughs> large muscle comics, men in yeah. spandex fighting each other. That's when you like Spawn. <laughs> when you just like when you're constantly like angry at your parents, that's when you read Spawn. Yeah, it was like, oh, because it's Todd McFarlane is the famous for Spider-Man uh, yeah. and making Venom and stuff like that. So when Spawn came around, it was like, oh, wow, this is not your, this is like the, even though he looks very similar to Spider-Man, it's like, this is not your mother's Spider-Man or your granddad's Spider-Man. This is Spawn. He's from hell. And he's got a cape and there's skulls and there's magic. Hey, oh, there's the Violator. It's, it's very, very 90s. Very 90s. <laughs> um, so, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I go back and forth whether I prefer the original Blade and Blade 2 because, I mean, both directors, I wouldn't say that when I came to them they were they were particularly notable. Del Toro especially. I think Del Toro didn't really come into his own until Pan's Labyrinth and when everyone right. sort of take, took note of who Del Toro was. I think people knew of his films, but they didn't really know of him as directors. We've covered on previous episodes of the show. But, um, I mean, Kim, obviously you said already you're not a Wesley Snipes fan. Um, just on his obviously his performance as this character of Blade I mean where do you sort of rate it or is it like just irritating no matter what he's doing no I actually um, I think I think it ta- I think you know what it is is that Wesley Snipes is kind of like this really unique actor where there's a specific sort of role or type of role that works for him and I think Blade works for him um, I, yeah. I like. I've never seen the comics, but like um, DJ just said, it's it's very different, right? But I don't. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, uh, but like I, I mean, I think it's unique in the sense that he really gives it a really like, I don't know. There's kind of like this balance between it being really cheesy and kind of really like, uh, really action packed, and he can deliver all these moves and all the and I guess it really boosts up the action scenes, so it makes it. Kind of like his character really falls into place. Yeah, I found that in this one he's a lot more serious than he was in the first one. The first one yeah. he's got more quips, and you're waiting for that uh, 
you know that big payoff line like in the first one we get some motherfuckers always trying to ice skate uphill <laughs> one of the greatest lines in cinematic history yes <laughs> and we just we never we never get that we just get a lot of brooding and uh, moodiness and suggested romantic they're making angles i think they're trying to make him batman because if i don't know where i read this and i i think i've i've gone back and done this and i i encourage anybody to do if they have a lot of free time on their hands uh somebody said that wesley snipes especially in blade 2 and this might be garomo it might be wesley might be both of them and every shot if you pause with him it, he's always in a perfect comic book frame pose Every shot, he's always po- like if you pause it. He's never not in a pose. So I think they're you know really playing up. I and mean, Guillermo might have told him like you know I need you to always be because he's very still. He doesn't like do a lot of. I mean other than like when he's fighting, like in when they're having a conversation, he's rarely breaks character. I think only time he ever breaks character in the movie is when he's dealing with Hellboy Ron Perlman. That's the only time where he's like. Slapping him in the face is the only thing you see him smile. I think he might smile two times in the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, but he yeah. has like he doesn't have those like um, um, those kind of like uh, one liners and stuff like in the first one. But yeah. I think what they did is that like Guillermo del Toro really like brings he does a lot. He does a few close ups where he's doing this like look and it kind of is like really I don't know. I found it really funny. I thought it was like really cheesy funny. So I, I kind of had a good moment with those. But <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they basically when you like listen to quotes and that from both like Del Toro and Peter Frankfurt, they basically say that so much of the character Blade was basically uh, was this like just basically taking the character and giving it his own spin. I mean, I vaguely remember the comic book, and I think in the comic he doesn't have half the gadgets and stuff. He basically has like a bag of steaks that he throws at vampires yeah. and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had a green jacket. He, he he's very not cool. Not let's say not cool. Not as stylish as he is mm. in who with the leather and the glasses and the tats. He doesn't have that in the comics. He's just a regular guy <laughs> with and, stakes. And I think I still remember that that opening scene in the first film where we've got the blood rave, yeah, uh, where they all like the bloods coming down the sprinklers, and you see the character Blade introduced, and he's like, as I said, he's almost like a walking silhouette. And he's the fact he's shot in slow motion, and he just like starts killing everyone. And it's like suddenly he's not even said like one word, but already he's like the coolest motherfucker in the room. Yeah. Um, I mean the blood the, the the blood pack I think in Blade Two is what separates the two films because in yeah. Blade One it's essentially Blade and Stephen Dorff's Frost. They have the most character, and I guess Whistler is there a little bit, but everybody else is kind of like. You don't. They're just there. They're kind of like window dressing. But in Blade Two, all these characters are pretty. They have their own kind of cool thing, niche things. You got you know Ron Perlman's character. You got Chupa. You got uh, Nisa. You got uh, Daryl from The Walking Dead. Is that like all? You have all these different characters. Nomak, Donnie Yen is in there. Snowman. You have a lot of like cool characters where in the first blade you kind of just had i mean i guess you have the quinn man and in in in, uh, deacon frost's uh uh, sidekick or whatever his henchman but they weren't anywhere near as cool as ron perlman's uh what what the heck was ron perlman's name (laughs) i just kept calling him ron perlman i I think he had a german name (laughs) reinhardt but yeah is that reinhardt is that his name yeah 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 yeah. uh, there's no character in in blade one that's not Blade or Whistler. That's as cool as that character. So, or Deacon. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, Ron Perlman, obviously a, a mainstay of Del Toro's acting troupe. Um, mm. In this film, he never takes his sunglasses off, even when he's cut in half. Nope. And, um, <laughs> in the commentary, Del Toro refers him to him as a Nazi, which uh, may also explain that really questionable joke about asking whether Blade can blush. Yes. And... As I said, I don't know. It's 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 that like a racist joke he's making? Is it the fact that he's like is that a the vampire? precursor of so. the is that the precursor of do you bleed? Is that the Batman v Superman precursor? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's like all these years later, I'm still trying to figure out what context that line is in. It's, is it a joke? Is this a genuine question? I think I think it was probably a, a twofer. <laughs> do you blush because we, we could have uh, killed you when we had the chance, or do you blush because I'm a Nazi <laughs> and I really don't like black people? It's a twofer. Um, Two birds, one stone. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously, Ron Perlman, he's sort of like the main agitator. He's Well, we've obviously got this blood pack who are like this real sort of misfit bands that these the vampires are basically put together to originally hunt blades but now they're being uh repurposed should we say to hunt these new vampires called reapers who have basically turned up and they're being led by this carrier called uh jarek nomek played by luke goss the eight one half of uh 80s pop stars bros um (laughs) also a guillermo del toro mainstay because he's in hellboy too I have to say that Lugos can't act for shit, but uh, <laughs> unless Absolutely he's in a Del Toro movie, then he's quite passable. Because Del Toro makes the makeup act for you. You don't have to just yeah. put this. Go with the makeup. Just go with the makeup. I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't figure. It out. I mean, like, I'm watching him in this film, and I'm watching him in in Hellboy Two, and it's like, wow, well, he's not too bad. And then I watch him in Tekken or Death Race Two or Death Race Free Inferno, and it's like. <laughs> God, you Tekken. are terrible. Yeah, but but those well, are those are bad films to begin with. So yeah, I'm you're not... watching Tekken. <laughs> That's, that could be the problem. I'm, wa- I'm watching Tekken because I I have I have the belief that there has to be a mo- a movie to rival Mortal Kombat out there. No, there is no movie that rivals Mortal Kombat, especially yeah. not Tekken. No. <laughs> The yeah, most, thing... most fighting games are pretty much fails. So let, oh. let fa- fighting game adaptations. <laughs> I would just say the only thing that rivals Mortal Kombat is its late night TV show Mortal Kombat Conquest. Oh, th- come on! It's it's cheesy bad, <laughs> or it's fun good bad. I don't know. <laughs> I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I it's enjoy fun how bad with it a costumer with costume design aimed at, at teenage boys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 um, yes, <laughs> yes. It is. But I mean, that, that's a whole other show we talk about. More combat conquest for <laughs> quite a while. We move that we move that to the other podcast. <laughs> we keep this one. We get back on Blade too. <laughs> so, I mean, you obviously in this one, when the original scripts were sort of being bounced around, they had the the original sort of concept was that it was going to be like in a post apocalyptic world. So, the blood was it the blood tide in the first one? The blood tide, yeah. La Magra, I believe, is uh, yeah. what uh, Deacon Frost was trying to resurrect or whatever. They were basically, that was going to have happened and it was going to be Blade basically going to bring together the shreds of humanity and that got scrapped and they basically came came up with the Reaper storyline. So by mm-hmm. the time Dildor comes to it, the plot's pretty much in, in place and he's just coming in and adding his flair to the sort of proceedings. He didn't really want to mess around with the script too much and he actually did a lot of work with Wesley Snipes in, with the character. He basically 
snipe skills like constantly coming to him with like ideas like the guns with the blades on were all like snipes ideas and it really sort of works well because del toro is a very visual director i mean anyone who's seen his sketchbook um, oh yeah will know that like every single one of his films he'll sketch out like all the sort of like minute details and scenes and characters and to have someone like snipes who's like coming to you and like having all these different ideas of how you can adapt and how you can grow this character i think it's like this perfect working partnership that you want it's not like one party trying to push the ideas on the other it's just like this real cohesive unit that they form and i think it really pays off here when you look at the film and certainly the new tricks that are added to it because it's not just the same things that are brought out that we saw in the first one in the first one it's just basically you know guns swords and like a car and a bike it's very sort of basic right hunting but, sort of stuff and this one they just got all out with the toys right yeah. I, mean, I, I, like UV I think and... if, if if he had was if he were to do it now though that he would never do it now but if he were to do a blade movie now i think there'd be way less cgi it'd be because you can tell he really wanted to go especially if you watch hellboy or hellboy 2 in the golden armies is he can make all of the stuff that you see with cgi practical and he's now got that reputation of with Del Toro is doing the creatures are gonna like shape of, shape of water. Creatures are gonna look amazing, and the only time I ever like kind of go uh, is when there's a little bit because the CGI in it, during this time 2004, it's it's not perfect, especially looking back at it now. And I think if he had his way, he would probably do a, like especially he does a lot of it with the Reapers, but there's some shots that are CG. I was like, oh, you don't. You, he could have, if he had the time and the reputation and the budget, he would have probably done it all practical because he has an eye for that crazy creature stuff. Yeah, like his 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 forte is definitely creature design. I mean, I already talked about it last time, but I mean, he came to Montreal for Fantasia Festival to just do um, a masterclass on like creature design. And it was, well, I didn't get to go because of reasons that I mentioned last time. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, I mean, I heard it was really amazing. He, yeah. Imagine if he would have got Lord of the Rings. If he would have <laughs> <laughs> actually, that's probably why he got hired. Because he's, uh, those, speaking of, you know, orcs and whatnot, if he would have been like, if he would have had that world to play with because Lord of the Rings is way more expansive and different uh, stuff you can make than you know you're just in, in Blade you're just essentially dealing with vampires you can just do so much stuff with vampires until you've essentially hit all the all the checkpoints so it, it's kind of like something every every time I see like the Hobbit I'm like oh man I, 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 I wonder what this would have been with Del Toro do we know why he left uh, was it was it budget I can't I, remember. I don't know. He he has all these grand ideas. I just know he has grand ideas about doing things like Mountain of Madness. He's been talking about doing for years, and then just things just never seem to line up for him. And you think you're an Oscar-winning director, you should have your pick of projects. Um, but yeah. I guess because he's not playing it particularly safe, he's throwing outlandish concepts out there. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, the studios don't want to back things. Though I think now with so much Hong Kong investment, it may sort of see it may be changing. I think we're moving away from like uh, big directors getting the studio to do what it want. Even Spielberg's have has pro- Steven Spielberg has problems getting a budget for something. I mean, he's been wanting to do him and Peter Jackson been trying to do Tintin Part Two for what like six years, seven years. Yeah, it's and, been a and, long and time. It, 
they and they these are Oscar winning directors that can't get anything. <laughs> can't they have to fight and scratch? And it's Steven Spielberg. Have I mentioned Steven Spielberg? So yeah, imagine Del Toro, who I mean, is I mean he's an Oscar winner now. It's just they have to. I think we're going to the studios making these safe, not safe, but. I guess so safe with their investment films. They do not want to take chances. If they're going to take chances, it's going to be the budget's going to suffer. You're going to have a Blumhouse film. And uh, mm-hmm. look, look at Shyamalan and what he's doing recently where he's like, okay, we're you can do whatever you want, but you can do whatever you want for $30 million. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's all you're going to get. I'm going to make a note about your comment about Blumhouse because I think Blumhouse is, is currently the savior of modern horror. Yeah, because so. they, 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 again, I, I've said it many times. They'll, they don't want to make a billion dollars. They just want to make double their investment. They, get, we'll put down thirty. If we get back uh, ninety, yay! <laughs> they don't the split cost nine million dollars. They made two hundred and ninety-seven million, which two hundred ninety-seven million to like Justice League is garbage, but to like a nine million dollar film, that's one of the biggest hits of all time. I just like I just like his world building and his visual style that his films have. I mean, I've written, I've did a whole piece uh apart from the movie tourist about the about the purge and i mean it's basically the yeah. wire each oh, film yeah. each film builds up the universe yeah um, some, though some purges are better than uh, did you see the, the most recent purge yeah the most recent one wasn't great but i suppose it it lays that foundation it's right like, or oh, how did this start did we just like give everyone guns to start off with <laughs> um or we, but no we we put in a little test focus there and then we we expand it out it's uh it wasn't like uh, Trump's inauguration, which is what I was expecting. So, like, okay, it's purge time. Everyone go shit crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, Kim, I I interrupted you a minute ago. What were you going to say? Uh, I was going to pull us back on track <laughs> again. Oh. Sorry, this is. Um, okay. But no, I was I was cause no, I was going to ask is um, because I haven't read the comics, so I was wondering, like, for the Reapers, was it originally in the comics or was it not? Does anybody know? I think that was original. I don't remember. If, 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 uh, forgive me if I'm wrong. I don't remember Reapers in the comics. I remember Morbius, who was kind of like a Spider-Man villain, mm-hmm. but yeah, he cause... didn't have the, the the open mouth thing. I I don't remember any creatures like that. I think that might have been a Guillermo del Toro special. Because that's what I wanted to say was because we were talking about creatures, and I was saying I was thinking that the design is so amazing. Like I I, I was yeah. genuinely creeped out by it, but I also had like flashbacks of like in the front view, it looked a lot like um, a xenomorph. So yeah. I was I was kind of like, but I, I really I was really impressed by that specifically. I think with the Reapers, they're the polar opposite of the vampires. Because when a vampires, when we look at vampires, they're like biting and with their victims, it's a very sensuous act. Whereas yeah, with the Reapers, it's very aggressive. And... It's almost like yeah. a, it's almost I, I hate to use the word, but it's almost like a, if um, if it's a sensuous act for a vampire to bite you with a Reaper, it's like almost like a rape attack. Yeah. The, the fact that yeah. they're just there, they just go in and they tear out. The fact we've got the open jaws, which still look cool. They yeah. look really cool. And that pink tongue thing just gave me a whole bunch Ugh. of new nightmares from like flashbacks <laughs> to uh, King Kong. Oh, man. Oh, that oh. bug pit. <laughs> I, always think, I always think Predator when I see the, the jaws that fly mm. open. Mm. It's almost like an amalgamation of the xenomorph and the Predator yeah. you know, before the horrible 
AVP Requiem crap, but uh, <laughs> uh, but that's why it, it did creep me out. The, the the tongue and the yeah, they're they're just rabid animals. Essentially, the the rabid version of the seductive vampire. Yes, they did creep me out. The only problem is they're kind of like fodder near the end of the movie. They don't really yeah. have a personality except for Nomak. So that's the only way they they kind of it kind of reminds me of um. If you play Halo, speaking of video games, uh, the Flood—they're just like a flood yes. of, uh, of of creatures. Yeah. They don't have it. They're just almost a zombie movie. Essentially, this is Guillermo del Toro's uh, zombie movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the the Reaper like crazy overflow of that. That was that felt so rushed. I guess um, mm-hmm. it, it felt kind of I don't know. I I just felt like it was like the Reaper was a thing, and then it wasn't really a thing, but. At the same time, like, it kind of highlights Del Toro in a sense where I was watching this and I was thinking, like, how he always likes to have this twist in his stories, as at least from, like, the past few that we've been talking about um, in from his beginning till now, is that the monster we usually see is not really the monster at the end. There's always that twist that there's always kind of, like, this more, um, I guess, human with quotation marks in this sense. Yeah. That's more of like human, like their nature is more evil. Right, right. Well, his whole his whole stance, though. I mean, obviously, he's set up as being like the big villain of of the piece, and then it, he's like, it turns out, no, he's actually trying to get back at his his creator, Damascus, um, who was originally going to be played by Tim Curry, which would have been awesome. <laughs> oh man, that'd have been dope. Um, <laughs> now I'm angry. <laughs> And it's sort of like self always like, oh wait a minute, he's not actually the monster, you know, he's he's basically trying to expose this whole secret plan that uh, Damascus has been hatching to create like the next generation of vampires, but in his image, so as he uh, says. And that's I mean that's great. We I mean you imagine you almost like to, to um, you imagine like uh, Nomak and Blade and the remaining blood pack are going to team up and take it take a. Uh, down the organization, but obviously once uh, Damascus bites the dust, Lomax yeah. suddenly it's like, oh wait a minute, I'm going to be evil again. It's like, why do we have this character shift? Because it makes no sense. I mean, he'd essentially achieved the purpose he wanted, which was to kill his father, and then suddenly he's like, goes full blown evil for some reason. It seems to only be there just so that he can be eliminated and hence wrap everything up. Is it like a Roy Beatty? slash Frankenstein's monster kind of situation he's going <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I just um as I say, it just dawned on me this time it's all like th- th- the only reason you suddenly become evil is so that we can have this big final uh fight between between yourself and Blade. And uh, I don't know. I somehow feel that um I somehow feel that Blade, even in the first one, um and and even like to this one the story sometimes has a lot of plot holes things that really just don't really make sense <laughs> i mean i don't know i mean just just nitpicking i guess i mean like say that plot plot had um had a, a issue with it but at the same time like even the small things sometimes it's like um in the first one and in this one it's really weird because like this one they questioned about oh you know going out in the sun or something like that and in the first one it was like oh you know is it a big deal and i'm just like well no in the first one the people went out like 
Blade, look how Blade dresses. And he goes out into the city of, like, bustling people and no one says anything. Like, this is the most, sword. like, this is the most, like, clueless city in the world. You know? Like, he beats up a cop and no one cares. Humans are pretty dumb in this franchise. You, rare, rare, I don't even remember. Are there humans in the second one? I know they're like uh, they're, they're more in the first one, but there are barely any in the second one. It's just vampires and then re- they're all familiars. Yeah, <laughs> they're all familiars. And then there's Whistler, and then that's it. <laughs> essentially that's it. I think Chris Christopherson is. I don't know. Just him being the angry old man is just great. And I love the fact that he's just like constantly. He doesn't care about the blood pack at all he's just no. like and the fact that he's at a disadvantage because he has no special abilities apart from just being this grizzled old man he and has one of the greatest lines as well he goes i feel like hammered shit it makes me <laughs> laugh every single time <laughs> hammered shit which i've never heard that phrase before <laughs> uh it's sort of like uh Oh, my other favorite line is, uh, you're one counter away from being killed, old man. He's like, I love it when you talk dirty. <laughs> and I was surprised, actually, like, how crude the dialogue is in this film. Because, especially because I think because we're now being, like, corrupted by the, the Marvel mindset that unless you're Deadpool or Pat's right. Wolverine, you don't, ha- you, you don't say these things and you don't make sexual innuendo jokes and uh, all these things that obviously Blade was doing. Because we there was no sort of rules on what you had, what you could and couldn't do in a comic book movie when this film was obviously being released. Right. Um, and I think the fact that you can pass it as just a normal action movie rather than just a comic book movie, I think really was its advantage at, at the time as well. Yep. Um, obviously talking about Blade and his not so subtle costume though. Um, when he walks into the house of pain <laughs> nightclub, why does no one panic? Because he's supposed to be like yeah. this vampire. Well, they all know man. Blade. Hey, that's the guy that kills us all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we got. I mean, the House of Planes. The House of Pain sequence is so. It doesn't hold up. If you look at it closely, you can tell that these extras are dancing without any music. Yeah. Um, I was think. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that it's just so over the top. The fact we got people like being operated on and making out with razor blades, and it's just like. Oh, Oh, that was so ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> they they was, just reminded me of like the goth kids in college, and it's sort of like, yeah, we're goths, but we're just going to go like uber goth and just like <laughs> mope around and listen to Cure and stuff. <laughs> this is the the extreme vampires. These these guys aren't living in coffins. They're not. Uh, well, they're, they're all half bloods, aren't they? Because that's the other thing I love about the the Blade world is the fact that there's this real class system. So if you're a half-blood so if you were a human who got turned by a vampire you're right. seen as being lesser than a vampire who was born a vampire which obviously i assume that all the blood pack members are like pure bloods right. um and the fact that they they have no qualms about killing other vampires as long as they're half-bloods because the amount of collateral damage you see in the house of pain sequence once the reaper's set up is absolutely insane <laughs> I think one of the things I, I regret about this film is, though this might have been up to Wesley Snipes' ego because it is massive, uh, you, you didn't get a Donnie Yen versus Wesley fight. I really was like, when I saw Donnie Yen was in this movie, I was like, oh crap. we're gonna. And even when he got bit, I'm like, oh, maybe we'll get like a Donnie Yen as a Reaper 
versus Blade fight, but we never really got that. <laughs> it's just like, oh man, because Don you got Yen Donnie wasn't he... really in it that much to be. Yeah, because this is no. one of the greatest martial artists of all t- in, in the history of of living. <laughs> Donnie Yen is is amazing still. He he uh, is amazing. You got Wesley and... Snipes who keep going. No, 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 no. I, I, no, no, I was just I was just regretful. With this. I, I think it might have been up to you know you got Wesley Snipes here who who's a really good martial artist himself. But I don't think he would be able to. I mean, you got Donnie Yen, who's a choreographer, and Wesley, who chore, uh, choreographs most of the fights for these movies. So I don't know if they could have collabed. I don't think that's the only reason why we didn't get it, because I don't think either Donnie Yen's going to kowtow to whatever Wesley says, and I know Wesley's not going to kowtow to whatever Donnie Yen says. So I that's would, probably. I would say that Donnie Yen is a fairly um, easygoing person. I mean, I, I don't I don't know him, obviously. I've never met him. But I mean, right. like. Um, he seems like he's a he's a fairly easygoing person. Like when you look at all the social medians, he seems that way. Um, but I don't know. I mean, um, I mean, I think, think the only reason Jackie Chan though, but he's an yeah. absolute hard ass. Really, huh? I did not know that Jackie Chan's oh, a Jackie hard Chan ass. Is, oh yeah, he is. He's like uh, an absolute perfectionist. He'll have he he will have actors do scenes over and over again with like Kubrick intensity. Um, there's a scene wow. in City Hunter where the one of the, the um, Caucasian actors he's introduced and he's like doing all these kicks and he just like the splits and stuff and like Jack Chan had do like the same scene 16 times so he's like he said he was like doing the scene it's like take 16 I've got like blisters on my feet when I do the splits he's like ah <laughs> <laughs> but you're like trying to keep your composure because you know if you don't do it right Jackie's going to have you do it again all right, right, and, right. Um, I did not know that. You you think you see oh Jackie Chan, you know, fun loving guy who makes like Please Story and Project A these fun movies, but no, he's like a real yeah, hard but, ass. Yeah, but you, you can't really like Jackie Chan. We're getting off topic. Again. Jackie Chan is like <laughs> um, um, Jackie Chan is really different because I mean he is like he's like a he's like into stunts, right? His his acting mm. is all about his his stunts, and like Project A is a super like cool movie and i love it but if you look at like all the all the bloopers he suffered a lot for that movie like take <laughs> after take he like almost broke his back doing that film so I mean, it was it was really intense i mean just to obviously go back to your question though about when you said about because obviously donian handles fight choreography here which is great and i mean he does get some great scenes even though he's he's just basically this mute vampire ninja called snowman yeah um and it's it it feels really underused but at the same time when we look at when the film has come out i think unless you were like a fan of like uh hong kong cinema yeah you You probably wouldn't have known about him because his sort of standout film at that point was like once upon a time in china 2 where he has like this legendary fight uh with jet lee and in the in the sort of like martial art uh, is coming over to America at this point. I think we're still in the Jackie Chan era. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's Jackie Chan, Sam Hung sort of in the background because he's sort of doing things like martial law. Before Donnie Yen gets recognized, I mean, we've got the whole Jet Li era. Jet Li's going crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is kind of true. And it's only now Jet Li's sort of retired technically for martial arts cinema. And the fact that uh, Donnie Yen finally gets his, uh, his due and with things yeah. like it man coming across and stuff so i think it's just really just the timing of when the film came out and i think but if it, he did it now then yeah he would have that big fight right. yeah but i think that i think that a lot of people i don't know if because donnie yen took like a big break in his in his career 
Like, mm-hmm. he was really, really good, like, doing really well in the 90s. And then he immigrated to, I don't know, Canada or the States or something. And then he took a big break. And then and then he went back and started doing the It Mans and the, um, what was that movie he did with Louis Koo? And uh, Flashpoint and, those, and SPL and all that stuff. So, I mean, he had a really big break. So, it's if you're on current in, like, the 90s kind of martial arts movies with Donnie Yen, then... I mean, you missed out until he came back. And I think that in between that, he probably took up this job, I think. I'm not really right. sure on the timeline there, but. Yeah, I, I remember my, my friends used to like make me watch some of the, the some of his films. And I was like, when I saw that he was in Blade 2, I was just like, oh, man, that's from the commercials. I was like, oh, that's Donnie Yen. Uh, and I just hoping as I was watching the movie for the first time, I'm like, please let me get a blade, a blade versus <laughs> snowman fight, please, please, please. And then when it didn't happen, I was like, oh man, darn it. And as I got older, and a lot of the stuff about Wesley Snipes' as, uh, ego was revealed to me, <laughs> I just just put two and two together. I was like, hmm, maybe uh, <laughs> who's gonna put one over? It's like a wrestling term. Who's gonna put one over? Uh, is Donnie Yen gonna let you know Wesley look really, really good in this, or is is you know I, I just. I have. A, I would like to be a fly on the wall if that conversation ever happened. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I mean, looking on IMDb, it's saying that uh, Snipes in the commentary with Goya, there were four fight choreographers, Donnie Yen, who choreographed the waifu-esque sequence with Blades and Normak in the cathedral in the first fight. Uh, right. You also had Jeff Ward, Clay, Foranaut, and Snipes himself. Goya remarked there was this wonderful rivalry between Yen, Ward, Snipes, and Foranaut. So... Um, I think yeah. Again, that's also going to push him further down the chain of the fact that there's four choreographers already working. But yeah, you can see the wire through elements certainly throughout. And I think you need someone like Donnie Yen to obviously to do that because I don't think in even when we like look at uh, modern sort of uh, Hollywood films that use wire wire and things like Kill Bill, the fact that these two right. had to go over to Hong Kong to shoot that with uh, Young Wu Ping's. Am I right in saying that, Kim? Or am I getting mm-hmm. this wrong? What? Uh, who, who did the uh, fight for choreography Ma- for Crouching Tiger? Matrix and all that stuff. I, I don't know who did the chore- choreography okay. for Crouching right. Tiger. That's fine. <laughs> but, uh, I think it's yeah, more, I'm pretty sure it's over and, and use, use their team and their crew to, to get those uh, scenes done. Yeah, it should be. That sounds, that sounds right. Um... Yeah, it's, there's so many... I mean, the fighting bits in this film are, are really great. I mean, when obviously when the blood pack introduced and we see like the vampire ninjas coming across. and right. um, Another surprising cast in here, we get Cat from Red Dwarf. Which <laughs> yeah, I'm that's where he's from. To this, to, no, no. <laughs> I, I, Do you guys not get to Red this Dwarf moment, over there? Yeah, I, I, I saw that guy and I was like... Even, to this day, I'm like, I know yeah, you. Danny Why do I know this guy? <laughs> I've, I don't, I'm, I'm, I have never. I mean, I have not a huge Red Dwarf fan. I have seen, you know, bits okay. and pieces of it, but I, I, I just, until now, I didn't put two and two together. That is the guy from that. Yeah, uh, Danny John Jules plays uh, Assad, and um, for us guys in the UK, because Red Dwarf is a big, big thing, especially at the time, we were right. like, oh, we didn't know he was a martial artist. We just thought he was a comedian. Um, <laughs> he is not. Apparently, he's just an angry old man now, but. <laughs> I mean, just to touch again on the blood pack. I mean, do we 
just generally, what do we think of the blood pack? Because I've said already, I think they're just such a mishmash. I think only a couple of members like Snowman, Lighthammer sort of stand out, and then the rest are sort of like generic vampire guys. I don't know. I, I, I like I like liking them to like a evil dirty dozen. Like kind of like, you mm-hmm. know, they're just or oh God, I really don't want to bring up this. They kind of like the Suicide Squad, though I hate, hate, hate that film. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess because they they all have their little uh, things. They have their little characteristics, I guess that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, Snowman's the mute and uh, Chupa's kind of like the hothead, Fast and the Furious guy. And uh, you got, you know, Reinhardt, who's just the leader, but <laughs> their leader is a Nazi, which is weird. <laughs> and you got you got Nisa. I, I guess Nisa's the leader. I'm not 100% sure. They seem like they're butting heads most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 I like the blood plague. I thought it just gave it, because uh, with Blade being so stoic and not really saying anything, you need people around him to keep, you know, these scenes interesting. Because he's not going to say much. If you go, Blade is essentially like, especially in this movie, I think he's doing his best Batman impersonation because Batman doesn't really say anything. He he, he, any type of interaction is through his actions, not his words. And I think that's what Blade Mm -hmm. was doing. So if you have people around him, like you know, a Joker or a Riddler or a Penguin, in this case, it would be people lesser than that, like a Reinhardt or you know. Uh, Chupa or whatever you, you you get at least some kind of dynamic in the scene because if it's just all stoic characters it's going to be a, a very mute movie <laughs> you just put the thing on mute and just watch it <laughs> oh yeah it's always good for them to have someone to, to talk to I mean that's the whole reason Robin got created because one of the right. uh, the guys working on Batman was like I'm not going to write this guy He's standing on the rooftop talking to himself for 40 years talking to himself <laughs> <laughs> he's not doing anything he's not talking to anybody <laughs> so not doing just an internal monologue for 40 issues of this nonsense. <laughs> right. So, but, yeah, I, mean, I kind of like, I think they add, they add something different. I mean, it's just a, there's just certain characters that stand out more. I mean, obviously, Ron Perlman's Reinhardt, and when he's obviously stepping up to Blade at the beginning and Blade's doing that whole stake-spinning face-slap thing, and I'm just like, clearly, uh, Reinhardt's not seen on deadly ground because this didn't end too good for the guy he went up to Steven Seagal playing these nonsense, so. <laughs> Steven Seagal. <laughs> uh, Good old Steven where do we, Seagal. Where do we, I mean, we should have addressed this earlier, but where's Wesley Snipes on the big sort of action scale? Because he's obviously not a first-tier guy like Stallone and Schwarzenegger. And he's not really a second-tier He's an expendable. Guy. He's an expendable. But, yeah, but doesn't mean he's, that he's and, like... I mean, I always saw him like this third tier guy because obviously second tier would be like Seagal and Van Damme, and then I think he's where Seagal is. I put him where Seagal is. I mean, he has Blade, he has Demolition Man, he has Passenger Fifty Seven. I mean, you you come at me with a Seagal movie, I can come at you with Wesley movies, but <laughs> I don't know if he he's definitely not in Arnold Sly's territory. He's not that high. Uh, because he's actually well, I guess they branched out too. But yeah, he's more he he. I don't think he ever started as I'm an action guy. You know, he was yeah. in Streets of Streets of Gold, I believe it's called, and then he was in King of New York and uh, not, uh, New Jack City, yeah. and then it was kind of like action, 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 action. So uh, I I would put him I put him where Seagal is because okay. Seagal's filmography is just. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> Under Siege one and two. Uh, yeah, just, oh, 
it's like fire down below out for justice mark for death hard to kill we've done the commentary on it yes i know i was about to say you did a commentary (laughs) he has he has a lot but i mean you gotta remember he's like he's you're diluting your filmography when you've done 19 direct-to-DVD. Well, I guess Wesley's both. They've both done 19 direct-to-DVD movies, so they're essentially the same okay. person. <laughs> what was it then that stopped Wesley Snipes breaking into being that sort of next-tier action hero? Because obviously he's doing films which are at the time popular, mm. and he just never seemed to to break out. I mean, obviously Demolition Man, I thought, may have been sort of breakout movie, unless you're Kim, who was falling asleep in that movie, so. <laughs> <laughs> what, was the, what was the last great Steve uh, Wesley Snipes movie? It might have been Blade 3. Blade 3 might have sullied his reputation for a lot of stuff. Because, I mean... I think that you, and avoided paying your taxes. Paying your taxes, yeah. <laughs> I was that'll just do, thinking I mean, maybe prison would have done it. <laughs> that The government got you. Mm. I always wanted to re- see, like... I wanted to see, like, Wesley Snipes behind bars. I mean... Is he like just like this complete hard ass? Is he like been harassed in the yard? Just like oh, they probably loved him. They probably were probably. oh my god because they well, they grew up watching his movies. You know those guys like I think one guy stepped to Mike Tyson when he was in jail. Most of the people just love him. They just, they, they they shoot even OJ. <laughs> they 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 treat him like reverence and whatnot. So yeah, I don't think Wesley had a I don't want to say he didn't have a hard time in jail, but I'm just saying it's probably better than you would think it would be. It wasn't like every five minutes somebody's coming up to him trying to beat his ass. I don't think it's like that. I think yeah, it's, it's like, it's, you know, it's no orange I mean, is the new black, the I don't think. <laughs> so um, he, he's fine. But a man virgin. Um, uh. Now, I mean, obviously, as we're getting to the end now, but I just want to talk a little bit about uh, the Del Toro visual style. I mean, obviously, it's a very different style visually um, mm-hmm. that we see, obviously, with the Del Toro. I mean, we obviously we see, like, the more... The more sort of grounded, less fantastical scenes are all shot in a very sort of blue tint, um, whereas everything else gets like a very no- sort of noir. We also get Return to the Sewers, and it felt like when we get to the sewers that he's just basically taking another crack at what he was doing with Mimic. Because he's right. basically just bug hunting in the sewers again, but you know, this time it's <laughs> mutant vampires rather than shape shifting bugs. Yeah. Um, I mean, Kim, how did you find, obviously, having seen got sort of like a more recent sort of idea with the, the Delta visual so I mean how do you think it sort of like played into this film I think there was I think there was a lot of similarities between Mimic and this one I actually felt like there were um I I personally thought Mimic was better when they did the whole underground thing going on um I thought that I, I like Mimic more. Like, I remember it more. Like, this one, like I said, I felt like it was so, it was, like, so fast that it felt like it started and then it ended. And then I was like, huh, what? <laughs> what? Every, everyone died? I, I literally, I, I I tell you, I fell asleep for, like, five seconds. I, I fell asleep for, like, not five seconds, like, five minutes. And then the scene ended. When I woke up, it was, like, ending. And then I turned to my husband, and I was like, did I miss a lot? I was like, what happened to Donnie Yen? <laughs> well, he has some bad news for you, Kim. Donnie Yen didn't make it. <laughs> it's gone. That's, that's what he told me. It was like, he died. And I was like, how did he die? And then, and then he was like, oh, that happened and this happened. And then you woke up right when she was trying to escape. And I was like, oh, okay. I get it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, with the... Um, when we see with uh, Scud who's basically taking over Whistler's role in the workshop and he brings 
in this sort of like very of its time sort of like that early 2000 sort of aesthetic the fact he's like watching cartoons i mean he's watching powerpuff girls um yeah, hey. originally he was going to be watching speed racer but they uh wouldn't lease the rights to uh to use speed racer so instead he's watching powerpuff girls powerpuff girls is cool all the time <laughs> i like powerpuff girls craig mccracken I-, I can dig it yeah and uh i like the fact that you can see with uh Del i mean he's not just like going oh blade slayer has to remain the same and the fact that he brings in this new character scud um obviously norman reedus here it's it's hard to describe where norman reedus is in his, his career because he's not quite the the grungy <laughs> guy that everyone wants to jump uh the bones of he's kind of like the the punk kid at the minute when we obviously see him in this film because he's still really early in his career so right it's like seeing him in this is, is this is this before Boondock Saints or after Boondock Saints? I can, uh, I, Boondock I Saints is ninety nine, so this is after. But, okay, okay. Um, yeah, it's around this because yeah, ninety nine. So he did what was it eight millimeter was ninety nine as well. So yeah, he's yeah, still he he's still an unknown quantity. But I mean, at this point, this is his second film with Del Toro, and I like the fact that uh, he brings readers back, and clearly they have they have a good working relationship because. He's one of the few directors who really lets Reedus just be Reedus. Right. Um, he just knows that, you know, letting him play himself is just the best thing you can do for him. Because he's, he's right. just sort of like this real, um, got this real sort of presence to him. And I love the fact how he takes over Whistler's area. It's sort of like, in the first room we see Whistler's area, it's sort of like this uh, real workshop sort of element. And we see how Scud's moved in, it's just crap everywhere. Like his van, this is garbage everywhere and stuff. And it's a Marlboro man to a millennial, and like. Uh... <laughs> so I like the, I like those uh, those things, and as, and again, it's just the fact that he's Dotto uses Scud to bring in so many of the fantastical elements, like uh, like with the uh, van with the UV lamps on the UV bombs and like all these different sort of guns and stuff, and it gave an intro. It finally gave Whistler a counterpart because, as we said already, Whistler doesn't really have anyone he's on the same level of apart from Scud and just to see the two sort of have this growing respect between the two as they sort of find this common ground in uh, what we believe is vampire hunting. Right. When did uh, I'm trying to remember the scene when um, spoiler alert I guess for the movie we've been talking about for an hour Uh, (laughs) when Scud turns Blade said he was he knew right he but when did he say I can't remember when he said he knew when they turned him. So it wasn't when he, he first met him. It was uh, basically as soon as he went off to work for uh, the vampires, he he mm-hmm. knew what he was uh, playing at. But, so um, when did that happen? That happened in the middle of the movie off camera or that happened before the movie started? That's the part I, I think I, I it happened was... before it started because because Demescos is obviously talking about having an insider. And we assume that it's one of the blood pack. It's going to be something like Reinhardt or something. But obviously it's not. It's uh, Scud in that third quarter twist which right. really wasn't needed but at least it gives us a decent death scene mm-hmm. I think <laughs> yeah. that and um, Wesley Snipes swan dive into the vat of blood are like the two highlights of this movie for me <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupidly orca- or- the orchestra and, and, I, that, and I, I, I mean it's I like the suplex uh, <laughs> as a wrestling uh, fan. When, when he suplexes one of the guards and then like jumps right back up, <laughs> like nothing <laughs> happened. <laughs> it's so like again. I, th- I I think I like these movies because 
rarely it's uh, now you get to see it with Deadpool. Rarely do you see your hero mercilessly killing good guys this way. <laughs> I guess I mean you got Rambo and Commando and you know yeah. uh but this is like a comic book superhero who is eviscerating people <laughs> like killing them in these creatively and that's stemming from the first blade in the in the in the bloodbath in the first scene where he's like he's he's chopping off quinn's arm and he's doing all types of crap he's just torturing other people he's stabbing them in the neck it, it, it you ne- you rarely see your hero this malicious <laughs> which is i find very uh humorous cool. um is there anything we haven't covered I know we've gone off on a few tangents here and there, but... I think think we covered everything. Okay. Um, So, for the viewing, if you obviously like Blade 2, where do you go from here? I mean, mean, who wants to sort of step up first? I've got a couple of ideas, but... Mm. Well, I think my first obvious choice would be Underworld. <laughs> oh, underworld! <laughs> <laughs> how that how that has fallen off the oh, how the mighty event, have. Yes. <laughs> I mean, how many of those films they made now? Is it five, seven, six? Uh, I can't. Seven. I, lost I, I think they're at six or seven. I can't remember. Yeah, it's it's. I've lost. I track. stopped at around. I think I stopped at around three or four, and then they're they're just sitting on my Netflix queue right now, and I'm just like no. looking at you, judging you. Watch me, watch me. <laughs> and, and then it's like it's like it's like sitting next to hidden figures, and I'm like. <laughs> watch hidden figures your, you know your, your morals are like what are you doing go to hidden figures <laughs> uh the closest thing going right now uh for me and replicating the feeling at least i had when i saw blade one and two in theaters and this is pro- i mean it's popular now is gotta be john wick it's not uh mm. vampires or based mm. on a comic book but it's very pulpy it's very mm. action, fun, with fantastic cinematography, mm. underrated cinematography, and an equally stoic main character. Uh, I'd also encourage anyone who has not seen Carl Urban's version of Dread, Judge Dread, to watch Dread. And this is like more of a f- the feel of a movie, not the exact same vampire hunting yeah, movie. Yeah. I'm know, going it, with the feel. I, Dread is like up there with me with, with Blade. I, in Blade I'm going to say, I'm going to say to add on to this that I coincidentally watched Blade 2 and Dread on the same night. What so a double, I that's think, a double feature so right there. It pairs up perfectly. <laughs> Great double feature. Because Carl Urban, if you ask me who I love more as a character, Carl Urban's Dread or Wesley Snipes' Blade, it, that's, I'd have to think hard about it. Because I love Carl Urban's Dread. <laughs> love it. <laughs> so Cool. Um, for myself, again... It's it's so hard because there's no real sort of vampire movies like vampire hunter movies like this. Um, so the two that I would sort of pair with it would first world would be the crow. Oh, okay, that's good. Um, for shows a very similar visual palette. Again, it's that sort of like dark uh, noir cityscape. Um, and yeah, it's, again, he's another undead avenger. The other one that um, I would say, and I know you're a fan of this one, DJ, because we've talked about it before, and that would be Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, well, that's more, that's way more tongue in cheek and fun. But I love Big Trouble in Little China; it's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, again, that's just taking many, many ideas and just mashing it all together <laughs> into a, a wonderful movie. And I mean, it's John Carpenter working with Kurt Russell. That Kurt Russell at the height of Kurt Russellness. Oh, it's so good. Um, I mean, anyone who's seen Christmas Chronicle um, this year on, on Netflix would know that Kurt Russell <laughs> can know. make anything work. 
no matter yes, how stupid or outlandish the premise, his pure commitment to a role. I mean, <laughs> he made eye patches look cool in Escape from New York. Yeah, so. I, I, I'm surprised you didn't say you, you would say Escape from New York because he Kurt Russell's more like Blade in Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. than he is as Jack Burton. Though again, I love Jack Burton. The great thing about Big Trouble Little China is the sidekick is the main character. <laughs> if you ever watch Big Trouble Little China again, he is, Kurt Russell is not the main. He's the main character, but he's not the hero of the movie. He is the sidekick, <laughs> which is great. And I mean, the main reason I wanted to compare. I mean, first of all, it's obviously martial arts action there from the start. He's also a very sort of rough and ready hero like Blade. I mean, Jack Jack is basically he's a truck driver who eats big sandwiches, and his weapon of choice is a boot knife. And as you said, he's the, he's the psychic. Yes. The big climatic fight, he knocks himself out and misses it. Yes. He's he's uh, essentially uh, Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> pretty much. But um, yeah, it's just whenever I'm watching, if I watch Blade, especially, it's sort of like, oh, this is just just want to go and see my old buddy Jack Burden. Have me tell him about the thunder, of the lightning, and the rain, and how the check's in the mail. The check is in the mail. <laughs> God, I love that movie. Sorry. That's cool. Um, well, I mean, this obviously brings us to the end of another edition of uh, Moose and Tea. Thank you very much to our special guest tonight, DJ Vantine of Simplistic Reviews. Thank if you um, people want to come and find your bits, uh, where do they find you? Uh, SimplisticReviews.net. You can search for Simplistic Reviews on iTunes. You can search for it on YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Dark Web, everywhere. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. Cool. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, you've just done another commentary track because yes. of. Uh, Hard to kill. He's <laughs> done a commentary on Hard to Kill. I, we were doing. We did a show. We our regular show. We were we were joking about Steven Seagal. I, I don't know how these things come up. And I, oh, I think Matt had brought up the fact that there's this sound cue in the movie, and we kept talking about the sound cue. We're like, oh, I guess we just might as well just do a commentary on it because we would, we all for some reason inexplicably love Hard to Kill because it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we had fun doing that. You, uh, if you if you've seen Hard to Kill, you'll enjoy. It. If you've not seen Hard to Kill, you'll also enjoy it. Cool. Um, well, again, thank you uh, for coming on the show. We'll hopefully get you back on again soon. And no uh, thank you, of course, to my co-host Miss Kimlo. It's always nice to chat about movies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, until uh, next time, uh, sorry, scratch that. And. Uh, where do we, before we obviously uh, leave, I mean, you obviously have to ha- advise it. Uh, if you aren't done already, you know, please do follow us on Twitch and Facebook. Uh, you can also check out our blog, which has got a full archive, which is moviesandteapodcast.wordpress.com. And uh, as I said, we're available on uh, most platforms now. So uh, wherever you happen to be listening to us, you know, leave us a review, leave us a rating. It uh, really helps get the show presence out there. And. Where do we go from here, Kim? I mean, what's the next on the uh, filmography? We're heading into Hellboy 1 and 2. Fantastic. So uh, hopefully uh, be, hopefully you can join us next time. As uh, We're going to have, our, have a slightly extended episode as we'll be looking at both Hellboy 1 and 2. But uh, until next time, good night. Keep them all good. Yeah. Keep a gorilla out this motherfucker. Yeah. Yo. Oh my god. Oh my god. Gorilla's running down on you real hard. Oh my god. Oh my god. Gorilla's running down on you real hard. They call me Red Man on stage.
Ash Gorilla. So big, I ride on back of vans like Magilla. My chest is hairy, it's up my back as well. It's my granddad was built like a half a whale. We rip the cell doors, we don't ask for bail. Happy Gilmore Gorilla, whooping tag for real. Beat you down till they lock me before a night in jail. Then I'm back on Purple Hill so I can jack and chill. Past the wheel, I'm drunk, tipsy, pump my sweat, come whiskey, and I'm looking for Lewinsky so I can get in, get off me. Girl, I'm crooked like white folks dancing off me. Gangster, I'm waiting for that ape to cross me. Shaked up, now you gotta pay for morphine. We all them gorillas, you starving the fillers. We keep like falling the members with carbon the winners. Come on. Yo, I hear gorillas going. All my gorillas going. Brick City gorillas going. NY gorillas going. California gorillas going. My Florida gorillas going. My Texas gorillas going. Shottown gorillas going. Shine. Get the cool, get the cool, shine. Get the cool, get the cool, shine. Get the cool. 